There were some tough times, particularly before Connor reached secondary school. Epic distress around shops, lighting, sounds and reversing the car. He could be unreachable, inconsolable and remarkably banshee-like when something upset him. At that time, I was doing a sociology and anthropology degree, part-time at Oxford Brookes University. Connor was diagnosed soon after I started this, and, like other parents of disabled children, I went on to specialise in learning disability, autism and difference. While I was studying, my mum, a retired building society manager, stayed overnight midweek to help with the kids, as well as providing a magical sprinkling of cleaning and order to our lives. During this time, the things that too often caused Connor distress were the stuff of everyday life. A bus not running, the car breaking down, a wing mirror or windscreen wiper snapping off a die-cast bus model. Talking through what was going to happen that day or the following day while trying to anticipate and feed into the plan any contingencies was a tricky endeavour too often doomed to failure because of the vagaries of life or due to us failing to fully understand how to break down activities into digestible chunks. One example, of so many, took place on a camping trip. Rich often took some of the kids camping at weekends. The first time Connor went, neither of us thought to explain to him that the trip was for two nights. I mean, a camping trip starting on a Friday night, 50 or 60 miles away, has got to be two nights, hasn't it? I got a cheery call from Rich in the New Forest on the Friday evening. The tent was up, the sun was out, they'd been to the beach, eaten fish and chips and everyone was having a ball. I could hear the excited and happy chatter in the background. The next morning, Connor woke and got ready to come home. There was no dissuading him. We hadn't told him it was a two-night trip. Sleep or no sleep was a feature of those early years. Connor, while happy to be in his room at bedtime and throughout the night, didn't sleep much and would often be quite vocal reliving his day. He could mimic voices to perfection and sometimes it sounded as if his whole class and teacher were in his room. It was fascinating and exhausting, as he had a knack of absorbing phrases or sound bites he'd heard during the day and weaving them seamlessly into his narrative. In contrast, every so often, he'd come home from school and sleep for hours without stirring. This unusual pattern confounded a sleep study he was enrolled on at Oxford University when he was around six years old. It was sold to us as a way of helping him learn to sleep better. He had to wear a device around his ankle, monitoring his sleep patterns for a week. The researcher came back with a printout chart showing very little sleep and muttered something about a faulty device. Connor repeated the week, which produced similar results. He was promptly de-enrolled from the study. His sleep patterns would skew the overall results. Hey, what do we do about him not sleeping? I asked slightly hysterically as the researcher gathered his consent forms, clunky device and study paperwork and beat a hasty retreat down the garden path. Um, have you thought about a star chart? The star chart. Christ, I hate star charts. A tyrannical device rewarding good behaviour with stickers with a view to getting a prize after a certain number of star stickers. For kids like Connor... This is about as useful as a fish slice made of Play-Doh. The star chart is really a red flag signalling the limitations of available support and services. 
These are typically organised in a rigid and inflexible way, venturing nowhere near the terrain you need to traverse in order to provide effective help or support. During these early years, my undergraduate study led to a PhD at the University of Warwick, and I'd read an academic article or book chapter in the bath each night before treating myself to the newspaper or a mag. Connor would invariably be up and chatting away to himself in his bedroom. For months, he would repeatedly call out, Mum? Are you my mum, mum? Yes. 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 Through gritted teeth while reading Irving Goffsman's classic book, Stigma. A few years later, I started working at Oxford University as a researcher on a project that involved interviewing autistic adults and parents of autistic children about their experiences. One mother told me her daughter had taken a while to work out categories, like mum and pet, and then to understand who belonged in each category. I finally realised what Connell was asking me. Mum? Are you my mum, mum? Yes, matey. I'm your mum, and I love you to the moon and back. <laughs>